How do you feel today? <sighs> um, I feel kind of on edge. I've been kind of high strung all day. Yeah, I I guess we are we are on the cusp of finding out if if I am pregnant or not. And tomorrow will be the day. And so I'm kind of anxious, <laughs> expecting to get my heart broken again, but you know, somehow cannot break the habit of being really hopeful. Let me cut in right here. This is me talking to Valerie about me. I'm putting aside any discomfort I feel about this situation and just letting it all out there. Another point worth mentioning, Lizzie and I have talked twice, a couple of months apart. Parts of each interview are included here, and you may notice that some of the facts have changed between the two interviews. You may also notice a difference in Lizzie's tone. What you are hearing is emotional instability. Also, every now and then my husband, Micah, has some words to add. So if you hear a man's voice, it's not just some random guy. It's Micah. But back to the story. Okay, so how did you feel last week? Last week, at this time, last Saturday, I was feeling um, scared, I think is the word. Scared and sad. So I think it was on Friday, I got a call from a doctor that I'd seen like a month ago, and I guess the blood work took a long time to get back, and he was on vacation, and he didn't have anybody else to go over his files or something. Anyway, so he called me on Friday and said, you know, mostly it looks okay, but there is something that, you know, some tests came back, like the levels of something are kind of elevated, and it might have some implications of like some autoimmune something and there you know there wasn't a lot of information I mean it was definitely like this is not positive but it's not negative either like it's just kind of elevated so with just that kind of information being so inconclusive and not really knowing what to do with it because as far as I am concerned that's not what I'm arguing for (laughs) hi it's me cutting in again I feel like we're not quite at the right spot in the story. This is all true, but I think we need to get to the point. What this is all about. So let's skip ahead a little bit. So yeah, take me back. Okay. Um, so I have had three, three successful pregnancies and five failed pregnancies, we'll call them. And that, my friends, is the crux of the issue and the seed of the story. Because that is why we are digging into my past today, to tell a birth story. The birth of a podcast. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. This is not a pregnancy podcast or a show about babies. This is a show where we talk about the complexities of growing a family, of challenging you and changing yourself. These are your stories. today, as we've already discussed, is my story, and the story of Cocoon, how it burst from the minds of my husband and I spontaneously, fully formed. And we'll get there, I promise, but back to the drama, shall we? Actually, maybe I should just bring you up to speed in as few words as possible. 
Five failed pregnancies, one many years ago and four in a row within 18 months of each other. Three of those miscarriages were, in my view, doomed from the beginning, and I really didn't get too attached. But one of them really knocked me off my feet and left me down for the count. And the cumulative effect? Oh man, let me give you a glimpse. And how were you feeling four weeks ago? Four weeks ago, I'm trying to remember. That might have been when I hit bottom. Close. Close, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, once again, I was very hopeful. It would have, been, would have been about the same time that I was expecting to hear or find out either way if I was pregnant or not. And I had been having kind of some strange, mysterious bleeding, which was not, you know... At first, I was like, oh, maybe this is implantation spotting. But that was two months ago. And then it kept kind of being there. Not not a lot of blood or anything, but just enough to kind of be annoying. So I didn't get pregnant that month. And then the next month, it was the same thing, where I have like this kind of strange spotting, bleeding stuff. And so that's, I mean, that's when my midwife said to get an appointment with a doctor to get this checked out. And you know, one thing leads to another, I guess. And I guess that's that month, last month when I did not get pregnant. For some reason that hit me much harder, I guess, I guess because of the, you know, two months in a row, I've had this strange bleeding and I'm feeling like my body is trying to get pregnant, but for some reason it can't. And I don't know why. And I mean, I spent Friday maybe. Yeah. I think Friday was yeah, the day when it was like, okay, I'm for sure not pregnant. And I believe I cried a lot. <laughs> I believe there was a lot of walking around the house moaning. <laughs> Which <laughs> more often is, but usually it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not with him. <laughs> I believe I may have fallen to my knees more than once. <laughs> Just like, I can't do this anymore. So, yeah, it's been rough. And in some ways, it has felt like the situation was specially engineered to be as painful as possible for me, emotionally speaking. From the excitement I felt about the pregnancy, to who turned up pregnant after I miscarried, just about everybody I knew, as seems to always happen. It just felt to me like piling on a bit, like I'm already down and bam, 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 life was determined to make sure I stayed down there for a good long time. Here I am talking about how perfect the timing of the pregnancy seemed to me, and how a perfect day became the high that I came crashing down from. When I did get pregnant again, I was like, this is a good one. This is a really good pregnancy. I can feel it. You know, like, I'm so sick. I'm so tired. Like, this is real. <laughs> and so, and it was really easy for me to, like, imagine what this was going to be like and how this was going to play into our, our plans. Like, I was, I was due in June, so... The boys would be getting out of school. We would have a couple of weeks after the baby was born. We could have some family come help out and go get the boys from school while I stayed home with the baby. Like, I had planned things so well. <laughs> like, this is going to be awesome. Then we're going to go to Utah and everyone can see the baby and we'll have a lot of help there. And then when we start going back to school, the baby will be a couple months old. And so it won't be like taking a newborn on the subway every day. And, you know, we'll have more of a rhythm in our life when we have to add school back in. Excellent. 
This is perfect. I'm so happy. Yeah. And I was really, really happy and really excited and uh, every everything just seemed to be going really well. Yeah, all through October and then through the beginning of November. And then, oh, this is where it gets so sad. <laughs> How far along were you? Um, I was uh, nine or ten weeks. Tuesday the boys were out of school it was the most beautiful November day ever I mean it was like low 60s uh, blue skies gorgeous we went up to Central Park Simon had been doing a Central Park study in school so he was learning all about everything and he wanted to show us you know like Belvedere Castle and the Ramble and Bethesda Fountain and whatever else you know all these things that he was learning about so I took the kids to Central Park and I mean we were just having so much fun it was such a beautiful day and and like the only thing that I felt sad about was (laughs) that you know like our whole family wasn't here yet like I was just like I can't wait to come next summer when Micah can be here and the baby will be here and It'll be just as beautiful as it is right now. And so we spent all day there and it was getting dark and time to go home before we, before we got on the train. I, I guess I wanted to change Elsa's diaper. She wasn't potty trained yet. Um, but I was like, everybody needs to use the restroom. So I used the restroom as well. And there was, there's some blood. And I was like, no, 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 no. So I like, like right away I texted my midwife. I was like, what's going on here? Like, do I need to be worried about this? And she's like, you know, it's probably fine. But, you know, if it starts to be dark red and you start cramping and that's when you really need to worry. So I was like, okay. Over the next few days, I still had some bleeding and it was, you know, not not bright red, no cramping. It was just a little bit. I was like, okay, it's probably going to be fine. It's probably going to be fine. And until like Saturday night. And then I was like, cramping bleeding and yeah I mean that's that was it I um I mean I was still kind of hopeful I mean I I didn't feel as sick the next day on Sunday. I was like kind of off and on feeling feeling the sickness. And I was like, maybe it is, maybe it is. And then I wouldn't be sick or wouldn't feel as sick. And I was like, oh no. And then I would feel sick again and I'd be so happy. <laughs> and it was off and on like that until, you know, I think on Monday morning, my midwife dropped by to, to give me like a prescription to get an ultrasound to see what exactly what was happening. And she asked me how I was feeling and I was like, start crying and I feel fine. Like I'm not sick anymore. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so funny to be like, I'm so sad that I'm not puking on the toilet right now. But uh, yeah, I did go down and get an ultrasound. And again, they were like, 
are you sure you're pregnant? <laughs> I'm so, so mad. Uh, yeah. Why would you ask me that? They should issue, issue some sort of uh-huh. notice. Do not ask mm-hmm. people that. No, that's like the dumbest question <laughs> here. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. why would I be here? Yeah. No, of course I'm not. That's why I'm here. They're like, oh, yeah, we read your file. We know that you've been here before, and we said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, and every day since then, the first thing that has come to my mind when I wake up in the morning is, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> it went on like that for months. The first thought in the morning, the way that I oriented myself to the world and remembered who I am and where I was, was, I'm not pregnant. I think at some point I hoped I would wake up and realize it was all a dream, or a nightmare, that it was over, that everything would be okay. But still, every morning, oh yeah, I'm not pregnant, this is my life. I didn't tell a lot of people. I'm not a very open person. One of my sons, if he has a little hurt on his hand, will wrap it up in his shirt and refuse to let anyone look at it. It was kind of the same way with my emotional pain. I just couldn't let anyone see it. I wanted to heal a little bit. I wanted to know that I was going to be okay before I really talked about it. But then, I really didn't know if I was going to be okay. And it felt like every month... The wound would reopen when I didn't get pregnant. But I did tell a few people, a few close friends, a couple of my sisters who I thought could benefit from my deepening well of knowledge and experience. But actually, some of my conversations ended up sending me even deeper into grief and sadness. Well, my older sister, (laughs) the week after I miscarried and I was kind of kind of still getting used to the idea, but, you know, still really sad. She called me on the phone, and I saw that it was her, and I was like, I want to talk to her. But it was 10 o'clock at night, and I was like, if she's calling now, something's up. So I answered it, and as soon as I answered it, I could tell that she was crying, and I could tell, I mean, it just kind of, immediately I knew she's pregnant and she's scared. (laughs) And so... And I was, of course, right, because I know my sister so well. So she had been to her 10-week appointment the day before, and the doctor had tried to find the heartbeat via ultrasound or or the Doppler and couldn't find it. So I took her to the ultrasound, and he also couldn't find it. But he was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's still early. And so, you know, we'll we'll just... assume that everything's fine and check you in four weeks and it'll be, you know, by then we'll definitely be able to find it. And I guess he could kind of tell that she was a little bit unnerved by that as um, she was leaving his office. And, and so he's like, well, if you're really concerned, you can make an appointment with a, with a hospital and they can, they can check you out. But she, you know, she didn't do that that day, but Saturday, you know, it's kind of settling in that, why couldn't he find the heartbeat? And she, yeah, she went over how when, when she was pregnant with her first baby, you know, it was, it was 10 weeks exactly and he could find the heartbeat. And, and so this one, you know, she was only actually nine, nine weeks and six days. And so maybe it was that extra day and she was like really getting down to maybe it was that extra day why he couldn't find it. And then 
she was also thinking, well, you know, he's he's just family practice. This isn't his specialty. Yeah, it's probably fine. You know, just kind of going back and forth, and you know, and her anxiety over it. She just decided to call me and have me speak peace to her. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, telling her that I had miscarried <laughs> the week before and that we were due the same week, you know, kind of shut her up pretty quick. <laughs> and she was like, "I'm so sorry." And you know. Uh, so if I mean if you if she you might not have naturally told her what motivated you to to tell her instead of just listening to what she was um yeah I guess I I guess I felt like because I had I had the experience of being pregnant and then suddenly not being pregnant um and feeling what that feels like I had something to share like are you still feeling sick then you're probably fine. Um, like just act like practical wisdom yeah, that you could share. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, last week I was feeling really sick and then I sat on the toilet for an hour and bled out. So I don't know, lots of stuff. <laughs> and, and then I felt fine. So, you know, I'm assuming you're okay if you're still really, you know, feeling sick and irritable and tired. Looking back, I kind of wish I hadn't told her. But at the time, I was hopeful that I'd be pregnant again in a couple of months, that the miscarriage would be a small hiccup in our plans and in our life. Instead, the longer it took, the more painful it was for me to even think about her pregnancy. So I ignored it. And her. I feel like it sounds like I should say something about how it wasn't my proudest moment. But to be honest, I don't think I could have summoned any kind of excitement or support my best move was to stay distant and to not do any damage with my emotional instability. Who knows what I would have said if I'd been talking to her. But then there was my little sister, and if I hadn't told my older sister, I wouldn't have known to talk to my younger sister. But then my other sister, another sister, my youngest sister, um, she is, I still think of her as a little tiny baby, newlywed. <laughs> She's like 23, I think. Uh, but she and her husband have been trying for, I guess, almost a year uh, to get pregnant. And they finally did get pregnant in November. And they were, after like eight months of trying, I guess. And they were like super excited. You know, this had been a long time coming. And it was Thanksgiving Day. And they were going to to Thanksgiving dinner with my family. And they were so excited they were going to tell everyone that just right then that they were expecting, even though she was only like six weeks along or something like that. Um, but then she started bleeding right before they left. And she was like, I can't tell anybody that I'm pregnant because maybe I'm not. And so anyway, my older sister told her that she should call me <laughs> and we could commiserate over our lost pregnancies. So did she? Yeah, she did call and we talked for a while and basically said, yeah, this really stinks. I'm so sorry for you. So she also miscarried? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only thing that I really could tell her was, at least you know that you can get pregnant. I do know of women who have tried for years and years and years to get pregnant and they've never gotten, you know, they don't think they've ever been pregnant. So they don't have any kind of hope that they will be able to again. But you, at least you know. And, you know, if you can do it once, then maybe you can do it again. <laughs> Thin silver lining, I know. But it was something. 
Silver linings are hard to come by in this kind of situation. Maybe the silver lining was that I could be there for my baby sister. That would be a nice thought, right? But it didn't really bring me any comfort. In fact, nothing did. To be honest, I resisted finding comfort. I resisted the idea that this happened for a reason or that anything good could come of it. It was bad luck. That was all. But bad luck didn't make things better either. It didn't stop me from falling to tears at random moments. It didn't make it any easier when I started bleeding again and again. However, the few friends I told really encouraged me to do something about it. Meaning, I assumed, write something. I am a writer, so the suggestion made sense. In just a few months before I miscarried, I had actually gone somewhat viral and landed on Good Morning America, The Doctors, and various radio and morning shows in the U.S. and the U.K. with a story I wrote about letting my 7-year-old stay home alone for short periods of time. It had left me energized and excited and determined to make something more of the small amount of writing I'd done since I'd become a mom. Right up until I lost the pregnancy. And then I could summon the energy and excitement and determination to, well, roll out of bed in the morning. And even that was a stretch most days. The weight and the darkness was closing in on me pretty heavily, and I really felt that I needed someone to tell me what to do. I hoped that someone would be God. I pray pretty much all the time, but this felt like cause for a different approach. So, I did what many Mormons do in this kind of situation. I asked someone who holds the priesthood, the power of God, for a special blessing of peace and comfort. That person was Micah, and he was glad to oblige. He had, in fact, given me a blessing a couple of months earlier as well. But I felt I needed another. So, we did what we do in my church. I sat on a chair, he stood behind me and put his hands on my head, And then he spoke what we believe to be the words that God would have me hear. So he gave me a blessing, and afterwards we were talking about it. And and he, you know, usually we talk about what I was feeling. But uh, this particular time, I didn't really have a lot of feelings other than the same thing that I felt last time, which is that this is something hard that I have to go through. And it's going to be tough and somehow it'll make me a better person and I will be more empathetic. And, you know, those were kind of some of the things that, that he had talked about and that I had felt, you know, like, okay, I understand, I understand, I understand. But in talking to him, you know, he had kind of felt like this is, this is kind of setting you up for something important and that everything that I have done up to this point is kind of coming to a head and everything is going to be joined together into this whatever it is. And so, you know, we had kind of talked before about things that I could do. And I'm a writer, so I thought I would probably write something eventually. And You mean, sorry, you mean things that you could do to kind of work through? Yeah, to kind of work through this and make this into something good and... I kind of felt like I don't want to make anything good of this. This is miserable and I just want to be miserable and let it be whatever it is until I have a baby and can be happy again or whatever. (laughs) Um, You've had a baby before, right? (laughs) A couple, yeah. (laughs) 
So, yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> Babies equal happiness. <laughs> um. Unmitigated, <laughs> abject joy. <laughs> no downsides. Always, always and forever. Um, so I didn't want to be like, oh, this is a... This is hard, but it's going to be so good, you know. I kind of was really resistant to that idea. And, you know, a couple of the friends who I had talked to were kind of like, Lizzie, you have you have a platform, you have your writing, you can do something about this. And I was kind of like, I don't want to do something about this. And, again, I don't want it to be about me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there are so many other women who have had such you know, such difficult experiences. And I feel like mine, comparatively speaking, you know, it's hard for me, but I already have three kids. And so if I don't have another one, then maybe that's fine. And also in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, it hasn't been like I've had a lot of interventions or anything like that. It's just been kind of an odd, possibly unlucky thing to happen. And so I I felt like... If I'm going to do something about this, it can't just be about me. I don't want to just write about myself and this experience, and especially because I feel like this is something kind of... I don't want it to get buried. You know, I write things, and then the next week nobody remembers it, and there's nothing else to say. And, you know, maybe eventually I would be able to write a book about it, but still it feels like then it would still be over. And I I guess I none of those things really felt right to me. But as we were talking, Micah and I, uh, that night, about how everything that I've done up to this point could come together into something important, I don't know which one of us kind of suggested it, but just the idea of having like a podcast where we gather stories and let women speak and... As soon as it was mentioned, it was like in 10 minutes, we had so many, so many things we wanted to, to capture. Just to give you a sampling, we talked about my sister-in-law who had a stillborn baby and knew for several months while she was pregnant that she wasn't going to be able to raise her baby. We talked about our friends who had struggled for years to get pregnant and others for whom it was so easy that they ended up with babies that were not really planned or wanted. And we thought, how does that change a person? How do they handle it? Who do they become? But even amidst the excitement of the brain flow, we had some concerns. I guess one of the things that I was concerned about is that this is really sad and really depressing, but, you know, Micah kind of suggested that maybe it doesn't have to be just about, just about like miscarriage or stillbirth or loss, but that we could open it up and have it be, you know, about the broader experience of of pregnancy and getting pregnant and gestation in general. And that really felt a lot better. And that night as I was going to sleep and I was thinking of all these great ideas and I was like, oh, this is such a good idea. And I hate this because I don't want to be doing this right now. <laughs> Actually, that night, it seemed like I barely slept. 
In the morning, I started writing a list of all the aspects of pregnancy and growing a family that we have to grapple with. The list quickly stretched to over 20 items. Here are a few. Cravings, maternity clothes, pregnancy brain, baby showers, naming, pregnancy dreams, postpartum depression, preemies, body image issues, teen pregnancy, adoption from both sides, and infertility. But as fast and furious as the ideas were coming, it didn't energize my body anymore. The push and pull between where I was and where I wanted to be, what I was doing and what I wished I was doing, I felt like I was being pulled down a path I wasn't quite ready for. I think it's such a, I think it's such a great idea. I really do. And I love it. But I also know that it's going to be a lot of work and that it's going to, yeah, take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I would rather have just had a baby <laughs> and not had to get to this place where this was kind of felt like the option that I had in front of me where, where I could do something. And anyway, I kind of went back and forth there for a while. Uh, I, I love this idea, but I hate that I have to do it. I thought about just holding on to the idea, letting it be there when I was ready. But I remembered my first miscarriage about seven years ago. For a month or two, I was really interested and focused on learning about miscarriage. But I moved on pretty quickly. I was interested in other things. I got pregnant again, and it was a healthy, viable pregnancy. The urgency and energy I felt after that first miscarriage quickly dissolved and I was afraid that would happen again if I didn't strike when the emotions were still raw and fresh and even painful. Still, the hesitance was real, and it was strong, but it was counterbalanced by the much stronger force that everything about putting the podcast together seemed to come so easily. I think it was the next day, as I was walking from the train station to pick up my boys from school, that the name Cocoon came to me. I knew pretty much immediately that it would be perfect, that it captured the difficulty, the invisible struggle, the pain, and, ultimately, the triumph of having broken through a difficult time and emerged as something different. And then everyone I approached to possibly help out jumped in with two feet so quickly that it became nearly impossible for me to drag mine. There was also the memory of the craziness from last summer, the TV crew in my apartment, the interviews on live radio and international TV. There was a feeling when I did that, that I could do it again, that I could do more. If I hadn't had that experience, starting a podcast would have been absolutely unthinkable. And also just the experience, obviously, of having, having lost this was not my first or my second or even my third loss. I ha I've had four miscarriages now. <laughs> I know I said at the beginning that I'd had five miscarriages. That's because I had another one between the two interviews we recorded. But it wasn't until that that fourth one that it really, the other three, like I felt like I went through just fine, didn't, it was, some of them were more difficult than others, but the fourth one, it was kind of like, okay, I get it. This is really hard. And a lot of women are dealing with this. So... I guess I have that kind of perspective that there are a lot of a range of emotions that go along with this whole childbearing thing. Like sometimes you have a miscarriage and it's like, oh, okay, 
I had a miscarriage. That's fine. And sometimes you have a miscarriage and it's like, whoa, like this is really, 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 really hard, you know? And I'm sure it's, you, you know, people have that kind of reaction to a lot of different parts of pregnancy. Some people, you know, their body changes and they're like, oh, great. You know, this is fine. And other people are like, oh, I can't stand being in this body any longer and just kind of recognizing the range of emotions that goes along with it. And yet we, we do this all the time. Every, every woman kind of has to face this in her life. If she's going to be a mom or not be a mom or try to be a mom. Let me ask you the, the kind of hesitant to, to make something you said you didn't want to make something good of it. I mean, do you like, I don't know, I guess, how, how would you, how would you explain that? Do you feel like to, to act on it, to, to, to use it to create something or to use it as a, you know, as sort of a, a jumping off point for something. Do you feel like it, it changes it? It changes this from like sort of a temporary thing into maybe something that's, you're not just like, oh, I'm, I'm working on getting pregnant or I'm trying to get pregnant and suddenly it makes it, I'm having a hard time getting pregnant. Like it turns a corner somehow. You know, in the past, things have happened that I've gone through difficult times and it's been like, I went through that difficult time and now it's behind me. But now I feel like I'm taking that difficult time and I'm taking it with me onward and forever. I mean, who knows how long I'm going to be doing this. But yeah, I'm not leaving it behind. I'm picking it up and carrying it and who knows what's going to happen, how long I'm going to be carrying it or what's going to happen with it. If it's going to turn into something wonderful or if it's going to, you know, always be a little bit of a sore spot that I just kind of keep, keep coming back to. Yeah. It strikes me that we're probably, it's probably not often that we, that we see a turning point in our lives. You know, that seems like something that you only recognize in hindsight, but it's a fairly unique thing to realize that you're at one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For good or for so. bad. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess there are times when you, you can see it and you can say, I, I want to take, I want to take this fork in the road or I don't, I, you know, and I feel like it can be really beneficial or it could be, uh, depending on how things go to a lot of women and it could be really, uh, life-changing uh, I know that, you know, when when you are going through something, everything becomes about that. And so every time I get on the internet, there's a new story about miscarriage or loss or pregnancy or, you know, it's just all over the place. And so I've read so many articles lately about why don't we talk about miscarriage? And so I kind of see that this article is being written every few months and still everybody is writing this article. Why don't we talk about miscarriage? So, okay, let's talk about miscarriage. Let's talk about it. We're going to talk about it for who knows how long. So that's it. That's why we're here. So we can talk. So we can hear your stories, so we can find out how you handled it, how you survived. So we can learn from you and laugh and cry with you. And, selfishly, I hope that as we talk together, this project, this podcast, this community, can help me feel less alone on this path, that it can be my silver lining, and maybe some of yours too. I think the idea of borrowing silver linings when we don't have our own 
It's pretty important. Thanks for sharing, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I seem to have survived the experience, and I am grateful for that. But really, let's thank Ben and his music skills. And many thanks to Ellen Barnhart, whose lovely voice you will have stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And Ryan, the rock star, for editing this thing. Double thanks to Ryan and Micah for being, I don't know, kind of the most important person in this. <laughs> uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. Keep at it, will you? I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. And remember, these are your stories. Please keep sharing them. Go to our website and click the Share Your Story button. And then subscribe to our newsletter. And join us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash cocoonstories. Twitter at cocoon underscore stories. Or Instagram at cocoonstories. We have one final request. If you could go to iTunes and leave us a review, that would be great. We'd love for other people to be able to find our podcast, and that's one way to be able to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with Jody and Adrian's story. It's one of the most powerful stories I've ever been privileged to hear and to be a part of. Spoiler alert, you're going to cry. So bring a box of Kleenex and forget about the mascara. Join us then. Say